Hey everyone, I'm Chanel, um, and this is my 18th year at Sunnybank District Baptist Church, and I'm in my final year of advanced business at UQ. So it's a little bit about me. Oh, and come say hi after the service if you haven't met me yet, and even if you have. So <laughs> I have the privilege of bringing the Bible reading to us, which tonight is 1 John chapter 3, 11 to the end of the chapter, verse 24. And I'm reading from the ESV. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he mur murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever loves, I mean, keeps his commandments, abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Chanel. Evening, everyone. Hey, Chanel. G'day. <laughs> Pastor Charlie's having a night off tonight, a well-deserved rest. He preached twice this morning and has been quite active and quite busy. It's been a week and a half, hasn't it? You guys know Miles and Hannah. They got married on Thursday. <laughs> it was a lovely time together. Cold, but lovely. And apart from the bridesmaids slipping and falling... It was rather uneventful. We're continuing our series in 1 John, and tonight we are looking at uh, chapter 3, verses 11 to 24. I am wearing a maroon shirt. Yeah! <laughs> Why? On the 25th of May in the year 2003 is when I was inducted into this church as the senior pastor, 19 years ago. And on that day and in that service, a man by the name of Warren Rain yeah. <laughs> rushed out of the congregation, rushed on stage and presented me a maroon shirt, to which I said publicly before about 500 people, 
All right. I'll wear the maroon shirt whenever Queensland win. This is my fourth maroon shirt that I have <laughs> purchased over the years. I have about still four in my cupboard, so I don't think I'll need to wear it again this season. It was a good game. It's not important, it's just a game. But in order for you to know that what is very close to my heart, <laughs> Mm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's always a privilege, it's always nice to be together with other believers, to share together, to encourage one another, to learn together. Thank you for your word, for your spirit and for each other. Lord, may you take all of this and use, may your spirit use your word and other brothers and sisters to help us grow in knowing you better and in following Jesus more closely. We ask and pray this in his name. And for his sake, and everyone said, Amen. Tonight's message, authentic believers. John gives us two tests. There are many tests in 1 John. There are about, at one stage I counted 10, but I, with very subtle distinctions, about half a dozen sort of tests. And tonight there are two. He's writing to encourage people to, that they may know that they are Christians. And there are various avenues of that. Of course, he's writing in the context of some false teachers who were just confusing the local church. Questions as per normal are available and they're over there if you would like to grab one of those later on in the service. You can grab them now if you like um, for us to work through. Before we jump into tonight's passage, I want to give a very quick summary of verses 1 to 10 of this chapter. This is last week's message. And John basically is saying that there are two families in the world and only two families. And you're in one family or the other. Or you could use the word kingdom. There are two kingdoms in this world, spiritually speaking. There is the kingdom of God and there is the kingdom of Satan. The family of God, the family of Satan. You're in one or the other. You can't be in both and there is no third option in the middle. Now, there are not only two families in this world, but John also tells us that there were two historical events in verses 1 to 10 that have enabled us because we're all born into the kingdom of Satan. We're all born distant and separated from God. But because of two historical events that the Lord Jesus is involved in, we are able to be transferred from that kingdom to a new kingdom. We are born physically in this kingdom, but we can be born again to enter the spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God, the family of God. The two historical events are, of course, the first coming of the Lord Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, he's made it possible for us to be born again, to be born as a child of God, spiritually made alive. The second event that he refers to is the second coming of the Lord Jesus, the return of Christ, at which point then it'll be very obvious who is in God's family. At the moment, as you look at the world, then we're all mixed in together. It's wheat and tares growing up together, and you can't really tell the difference by looking are you in the kingdom of Satan? Are you an unbeliever? Or are you in the kingdom of Jesus? Are you a child of God? It's difficult to tell by simply observation. But John gives us a couple of tests to help us in our evaluation. Am I in the kingdom? And is the person I'm speaking to, are they in the kingdom? They are the two most important questions to be able to answer, particularly the first one. Am I a child of God? Am I saved? Am I... Do I have eternal life? And that's why John certainly writes this letter for us. 
um, so that we can have an assurance. Uh, I'll come to those two tests in a minute. This is why he writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so you're believers, so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's not only to be a believer, but to know that you're a believer, to be assured of it, to be confident, to rest in the peace of it. Because in this paragraph, John will certainly allude to times when we're not always solid. God wants us to be. He wants us to be assured and not tossed about and not uncertain. And he wants us to be confident and certain and sure in our relationship with him. So here is the first test. Authentic Christians love one another. Because there are certainly some people who say they're Christians or they say they believe in Jesus, they say they follow Jesus. They may even, you know, attend church, may have been baptised. They may even give money to the offering, to the work of the church, have communion, read their Bible. You may do all of those things and yet not be in the family of God. It's quite possible. There are people who are both pretenders who do those things deliberately or there are people who are doing those sorts of things out of a sense of duty, but they are deceived spiritually because they've never been genuinely born again yet. They haven't responded to the gospel. Well, here is the first test. Do you love fellow Christians? We are, of course, commanded to love all people, to love our neighbours, to love our enemies. But in this test, John is particularly saying that if you're part of God's family then you will have a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. It'll be there automatically. God puts it there. Um, of course, well, verse 11 says, For this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And we do. We don't always, do we? Some Christians can be quite difficult. To like. Is that true? Don't look at them. <laughs> we have different personalities, different interests, different ways of doing things and sometimes just by simply personality we can irritate one another, rub each other the wrong way. But <clears throat> we're not talking about liking one another, we're talking about loving one another. We should love one another. And it's quite possible for us to love someone before we like them. And you probably, you will find that if you commit yourself to loving them, we'll talk about what that means, if you commit yourself to loving them, you may eventually find yourself liking them. Or at least not being so irritated by them, you can tolerate them a whole lot more. Simply by loving them. Um, here is a, an exercise for you to do. If there is someone who is a professing believer, you think they're a fellow Christian with you, and that's really what we're talking about tonight, that relationship, and they irritate you, <clears throat> or you're out of step with them, or something's wrong with them. The Bible certainly says that if you're bringing your gift to the altar, then and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, go be reconciled, put right with that person, and then come and offer your gift. Relationships are very important in God's kingdom. But here is another exercise for you. If there is someone who is upsetting you, hurting you, irritates you, annoys you, whatever, pray for them. Pray for them every day. Don't pray for God to kill them. Pray for God to bless them and mean it. 
Pray for them to grow in their relationship and awareness of who Jesus is. Pray that they'll grow closer to him and that God, God's goodness will be poured out upon them. A lady by the name of Evelyn Christensen wrote a book called Prayer Changes Things. And she writes that in the process, one of her experiences was that there was someone who was doing that, irritating her, and so she began to pray for them. And over the course of time, she found that things did change. But she also observed that they didn't change, she changed. Her attitude towards the person changed. So pray for them and see what happens. Either they will change or you will change, perhaps even both of you will change. So there's a question. Do you love your earthly brothers and sisters in Christ? John then contrasts this, we need to love one another, <clears throat> which is the test, the marker, the identifier that we are part of God's kingdom with what happens in the world. He contrasts it with hatred. Don't be like Cain, he says, who belonged to the evil one. Belonged to the evil one. He's in the kingdom of Satan. He's not a follower of God, not a believer in God. And what did he do? He murdered his brother. Quite literally, cut his throat. That's what the Greek word points to. When Abel brought his sheep to the Lord as a worship, they both brought an offering to God to worship him. Cain would have seen Abel slit the throat of the sheep. What Abel did to the sheep is what Cain was going to do to his brother. He slit his throat. Why did he do that? Well, because he was jealous of him. His actions, Abel's actions were righteous. He was accepted. And Cain's were not. And he got malicious. There was a hatred in the heart. Before there was a hand raised against him, there was a development of something in the heart. And John is saying, that shouldn't happen for us as followers of the Lord Jesus. And we need to be aware of it. Verse 13, he says, Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Just like Cain, same parents, two brothers, but one brother hated one. One was in the kingdom of Satan, one was in the kingdom of God. Same family. Still happens today. Don't be surprised, John writes, that the world doesn't like you. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if the world mocks, laughs, rejects you, ridicules you does all those sorts of things to you. Why? Don't expect them to be sympathetic towards you. Because the world, those in the kingdom of Satan, don't like God. So they're opposed to the children of God. And they act accordingly. Don't be surprised by it, but rather, we are sheep who are living amidst wolves. We are light in the darkness. And the darkness wants to blow out the candle. They're opposed to us, John writes. He goes on to say in verse 14, uh, we know that we have passed from death, kingdom of Satan, to life, kingdom of God. Why? Because we love each other. The because doesn't mean that's the cause of it. It's rather the identifier, the evidence, the pointer towards it. Oh, I know I'm in the kingdom of God's family because I love Christians. I care about Suddenly I care about church and I care about being in church and caring for brothers and sisters in Christ. That was certainly my experience. I became a Christian, non-Christian family, no spiritual background at all or very little. <clears throat> became a Christian, that's another story. When I became a Christian, it took about a month, three weeks, something like that. And I said to my mum, who was religious, I said to my mum, I want to go to church. Where did that come from? From the transfer of me being transferred to the kingdom of self to the kingdom of the saviour. 
And suddenly he puts a desire in me to want a fellowship with his people. I'm part of his family. And so that's what happens in us. We know we have passed from death to life because we love each other. What is this love? Well, John explains it in two ways. Firstly, verse 16, this is how we know what love is. One, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And that model is applied to us. So we ought to lay down our lives for one another. What Jesus did for us, we should do for one another. To lay down your life for somebody is to do it voluntarily, to do it deliberately, to deny yourself and to put yourself in harm's way to protect them. This is the ultimate, I guess. This is the very public, dramatic way of loving your brother or sister. The story is told of a prisoner of war camp in Japan, World War II, <clears throat> um, where the prisoners were given a shovel each day and they had to go out and work on a road and build things. And at the end of the day, they would come back and the shovels were laid down in front of them and they were counted. There were supposed to be 18 shovels. On this particular day, there were 17. One shovel was missing. Of course, the Japanese officers, the guys in charge of the prison, they assumed that somebody had deliberately hidden one and intended harm with it. So they arrested all the officers in the prisoners, put them in a separate section and said to the rest of the prisoners, one person a day will be shot until the shovel is returned. Nobody spoke up. A prisoner was shot. The next day, an officer is brought out and then almost before they threw it, the chaplain in the army stepped forward in the prison camp and he said, I did it. He was shot, but he didn't do it. They found the shovel that day and he hadn't done it. He laid down his life for others. It's a dramatic example of it. When somebody takes your life from you, that's not laying it down. That's a different category. Jesus laid his life down for us and so we are to do that for one another. And if we're to do that, well, the next example is a very practical, ordinary example. John says, if anyone has material possessions, and we all do, of many nations in the world, we are blessed, we are loaded. We have lots of stuff. Not all of us the same, but most of us have some resources and if we see a brother or sister in need but if we close our heart to them we have no compassion no love towards them no care of them no pity on them well how can you say that person's in the kingdom of God that's not how we behave if you're in the kingdom then you care for your brother or sister in a very practical way and to be generous you see what love does it doesn't take it gives it doesn't strike down, it lays its life down. It doesn't defend itself, it rather protects the other. Instead of murdering, it ministers. That's how we know what love is. Jesus did that twice. In the Gospel of John, the same guy who wrote this letter, he gives two examples of where Jesus did this um, quietly, ordinary way. John chapter 13, it says, Jesus took off his outer garments and he laid down his garments. And then he washed the feet of the disciples. He served them in a very ordinary, lowly act. The second way, in John chapter 19, it says, Jesus laid down his life on the cross. That's a very dramatic public way of doing it. But he 
stood in our place, took out the harm that was due to us and he intercepted that and took it for us. So too, that model of the Lord Jesus is applied to us. There could be times that we do it dramatically, but most of the time it's going to be from a very ordinary, very practical way. If you see somebody in financial need, help them out. If you have the resources and the availability, it could be clothes, it could be food, it could be companionship, whatever it is, help them. Some practical, they're moving from this place to that place and they just need someone to help or mow the lawns or all the rest of it. Encourage and reach out to others. And John says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech and I put the word in only, but with actions and truth. It's nice to speak, to hear nice things. It's nice to speak nicely to one another. It's nice to encourage and to express, I love you. I have this useless bit of trivia for you. What's the longest love letter? In 1875, Marcel de Lacour wrote a love letter to his wife, future bride, his fiancée, Magdalene, and he wrote 1,875,000,000 times, I love you. Now, that's love. Except he didn't do it. He paid for somebody else to do it. <laughs> the love doesn't really understand, does it? It's nice to say nice things, but John says, don't just say nice things, do loving things. Make it in truth and in actions. Actions speak louder than... There's an old saying, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. It's a good saying, isn't it? I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care about me. That's what John says. Dear children, love one another. That's the first test, that we love one another. Do you love one another? Yeah. That's an indication for you. <laughs> an indication that you're in God's kingdom. And if you're not sure, well, John is going to address that as well. Second test. Authentic Christians also love God and they're very confident in him. They draw close to him and that's manifested in their lives in various ways. He goes on to say in verse 21, Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, and there are times when our hearts do condemn us, there are times when we have doubts or questions or wonder, if I'm, a, if I'm in the kingdom of God, how can I think like this? How can I feel like this? Why, why do I do the things that I do? Well, read Romans chapter 7, and you'll see the Apostle Paul had exactly the same wrestle. As followers of God and being members of his family, we are not perfect. We are flawed creatures and we are prone to do the wrong thing. And sometimes when we do the wrong thing, we condemn ourselves. But the good news is, and Satan certainly condemns, God does not condemn. If our hearts condemn us, then we can have confidence before God. Because he said in the verse before that, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. He knows you totally. He knows things about you that you don't know about you and he still loves you and he still accepts you. He knows everything and accepts you in Christ, in his kingdom. So your confidence is in him, not in yourself. That's what John is saying to us. He goes on to say, um, 
because we have a confidence in him, this manifests itself both in our prayer life and in our obedience, he says, and we receive from him anything that we ask. Why? Well, because there are a couple of conditions, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Just like a little child who is confident in their parents, the child comes to the parents and says to them, can I have this or can I do that or can we, whatever the request is. And often the desire of the parent is to want to love and please the child. So our Heavenly Father wants to love and please us. And when you pray, you think about this. I hope we all pray and pray often and ask God for whatever it is that we need. John says, part of being in his family is that we receive from him anything we ask. Anything we ask. Wow. How does God answer our prayer? Well, usually yes. Not always. Sometimes God says no. So does a parent to a child. Why? Well, because it's not the best thing or it's not the right thing. He'll say no. But notice also, if God doesn't say yes, he might say, well, the answer is yes, but you can't have it just yet. You're not ready. Or it's not ready. You can have it, but you have to wait. God, I want a, I want a wife or I want a husband. Well, yes, that's a good thing. I'll give it to you. You have to wait. Whatever the request is. Rhonda and I have just had a wonderful experience. We've been praying about uh, selling our cars and getting a new car. And this week, we, get, uh, we are in the process of getting a new car. It's a miracle. It's another story. And I don't have time because I only have 20 minutes. So you don't get to hear it. I'll tell you afterwards if you come and ask me. God can also say to us, look, the answer is yes, but not what you're asking for. So how does God answer our prayers? Yes, you can have it. Yes, you can have it, but you have to wait. Yes, you can have it, but it's going to be different, or no. Three out of four, God says, yes. He's our loving Heavenly Father who loves us as his kids and he wants to bless us. Now, there are conditions attached to that. Dear God, I would like a mansion and a Mercedes-Benz. No. Why? Well, because the conditions, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. If we're doing that, if our relationship is right with him and we are walking with him, then Psalm 37 verse 4 says, um, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's what God was doing with us. He was giving us the desire in our heart, prompting us to saying it's time to sell the cars and it's time to get a new one, another one. And so we're just obedient to that prompt. And it's quite miraculous the way that this circumstance came about. I hope I'm wetting your appetite and you want to come and talk to me about it. Because we keep his commands, just like kids. If our kids obey us and don't irritate us and they want to please us, then when they ask for a chocolate or a lolly or whatever it is, we say, yes, of course, you want to bless them. So how's your obedience? How's your desire to please God? How's that going? Well... If we do so, John goes on to say in verse 23, and this is his command. Number one, believe in Jesus. That's always number one. Secondly, and if you believe in Jesus, you'll be transferred from this family to this family, to his family. And if you're transferred to his family, then you'll love one another. John's referring back to the first test again, just as he commanded us. And then finally, and the one who keeps his commands 
does what he wants and pleases him. We live in God, we live with God, and God lives in us. We're in the family. And how do we know that? Well, he's given us his Holy Spirit. It's a subjective, personal response. And the Spirit is telling us things that we belong to him. So what does all of this mean? Number one, there are two families in the whole world. You're in one or the other. There's no in-between. Everyone is born into one family, kingdom of Satan, um, children of those who don't believe and follow God. But because of Jesus and his death and resurrection, we can be transferred, we can be born again into a new family. And if we are born again into this new family, there'll be changes. One change is our heart and attitude towards our brothers and sisters. Authentic Christians love one another. And the second test indication is authentic Christians also not just believe in Jesus, but they obey God and they desire to please him. They're confident in him when they pray and they are close to him in their walk. We're going to go to discussion time in just a minute. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your wonderful plan of salvation that into this fallen rebellious world you came in the person of Jesus to adopt us, to help us to be born again into your family. Lord, you have adopted us as your sons and daughters and you're in the process of changing us, transforming us, both in character and in choices. Help us to be children that please you, that obey you, children that reflect you in this dark world. We thank you for Jesus and your great love for us and the certainty that we can have and that you want us to have. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. God bless. We are going to, I'm going to encourage you to grab some questions and break into some small groups and see if you would like to discuss some of these truths personally and hold each other accountable. <clears throat>